Hello and welcome to Extraordinary Voices for Extraordinary Times, a monthly podcast brought to you by the University of Queensland Press in collaboration with the Copyright Agency. Salamu alaikum. My name is Omar Seika. I'm a poet and the son of Lebanese and Turkish Muslim migrants speaking to you from unceded Gadigal and Wangal country. Each episode, Ellen Van Nieuwen and I take turns as hosts in conversation with a poet we believe has a vital voice. It's really exciting for us to be able to platform poets we admire because poetry is what we turn to in uncertain times. And if there's any one way to categorize this time, it is surely as one of profound uncertainty. It's our hope that we can help each other confront and move through this feeling without surrendering to it. Each episode, we invite our guest poets to write a new poem or suite of poems that reflects on the times we face while also giving ourselves the same challenge. We're going to talk about that and also read for you the poems that came out of it. Today, I'm joined by Ali Kobi Ekerman. Ali is a Yankun Jajara poet and the author of seven books, including the verse novel Ruby Moonlight and the poetry collection Inside My Mother, as well as the memoir Too Afraid to Cry. In 2017, she was awarded Yale University's prestigious <laughs> Wyndham Campbell Prize in Poetry. Welcome, Ali. How are you? In the fullest sense of that phrase, yeah, how's your mental and physical health and the health of your family in this time? Well, I'm okay at this moment. I've enjoyed a good night's sleep in the safety of my house that sits on unceded Nadjuri country. Previously, I was living in Melbourne um, and I found living in the city quite challenging. I didn't realise at the time, but now that I've left, I realised that the city energy was really dangerous to me. I suffered a lot of anxiety there. Mm. Um, I, I couldn't hold on to a love that I believed in. Um, and it's taken me some time to unravel um, and sitting with nature in the beautiful mid-north of South Australia has proved the correct tonic for me as um, the coronavirus pandemic has hit the world. So even before the pandemic, there was already for you an unpleasant or perhaps even toxic energy associated with the city that was affecting you. Yeah, and it was very hard to to define because here I was, I've been given this wonderful opportunity with RMIT as an adjunct professor. I was meeting many new exciting people and building networks. I was on the cusp of earning some decent money and I'm getting a little bit older so that all of a sudden had become important. And yet 2019 was um, a very, very anxious year for me. And um, like I said, it's only in leaving that I can realise that it's the energy, the energy of the city was so wrong for me. We were talking earlier about the project you've been working on, the Aboriginal women's writing space. Can you tell us a bit about what it used to be and where you are with it now? A few years ago, I had established Australia's first Aboriginal writers retreat 
and that was very grassroots and very fun and every group of people made um, a little community that everyone could benefit from. There was so much laughter here, there were a lot of tears and we had this shell of this old 140-year-old general store that I bought. We were transforming it into our safe place on our land. I've spent a seven-year gap travelling um, and, and, and really being blessed with a lot of international travel. And now I'm back here. Uh, the place was gutted again. I was putting it on the market. That's not the case now. Slowly we're refurnishing, renovating for the second time. There's something very deep um, about renovating for the second time. People are coming. People are coming to help. People are coming just to sleep. They, um, they recognise that this, this part of Nadjeri country on the Broughton River I think has a really healing energy and other people can feel it. So we're just making a space, not with a focus on the arts, more on the focus of just being because everyone is really intelligent. When they come here, when they're rested, they know what their journey is and they know what their tasks are and they don't need any direction from me. What I'm hearing from all of this is a sense of a need for security, certainty. Um, You know, anxiety, you were talking about anxiety before being in the city. Anxiety is a response to a perceived threat. Uh, It's the body's way of saying, I believe there's danger here for you. Uh, I'm hearing in this idea of leaving and returning a natural response and and then and building something, as you say, that is a, a, a safe space for you and for people you love and are in community with. And I think that is a good lead-in to your poem, Temple. Mm-hmm. Can you read that for us now? Temple. It appears where it has always been, our senses jarred to awaken, dragging the heavy door open, movement is forced to purpose. We step inside as the song wafts past in a language we do not understand. We watch it escape to the clouds. In the building we start renovating, sweeping debris from the flagstones. The tiles a golden hue of promise. We wash soot off the windows, revealing a crisp mountain view we recognise from legends of old. Gently we wipe the dusty walls, searching for the fresco stories that can no longer be seen. The garden is thick with thorns. We chop until we see the tree, adorned red with temptation a wind chime of snake skins draped over branches pointing us back, retracing our steps to the crypt. We find her with a gaping jaw, her mouth still open as if calling the people who could not hear. We stoop in our ignorance. Thank you, Ali. This is a beautifully dark poem laden with meaning. There's such an evocative sense of disconnection 
which really resonated with me as a child of the diaspora. You know, you mentioned uh, the music of a language that we don't understand, watching it escape. And escape is such an interesting word in that context, you know, it suggests that maybe we deserve it even, or that holding knowledge is always imperfect. Maybe that comprehension itself is a kind of prison. The reasons I appreciate this poem so much in particular is because for a project like ours that has a theme of responsiveness, this is absolutely pertinent, but also wonderfully mysterious. You know, it invites you to dig deep and there are multiple ways to read it. Oh, I think it was sitting there for a little while and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a metaphor. It's about this place. It's about my place. It's about Indigenous people's rights that I hope return through this pandemic and the wisdom that we hold that's been shunned and ignored for hundreds of years. It's also when I think about my friends um, in other countries, you know, South Australia is very safe with, uh, from COVID and we know that we're lucky but we know that there are other people around the world who are suffering, suffering. It's a little prayer for my friends, less fortunate situations. You know, I'm not a rich woman by any chance but I know that I'm surrounded by many blessings. I think coming back here, also one of the... Um, the nice things is I have a lot of grandmother memories here um, from my childhood years. It's nice to be closer to that. I know when I'm in the kitchen now and um, I think about the, the, those older women a lot more. Also the return here heralds the passing of my last mother, Mum Frida, um, died Christmas last year. And so that whole line of matriarchs and patriarchs that really held me up and no longer here. And that's more, that's really the reason to have a safe place to learn mm. how to take those next step forwards. Yeah. Do I even need to? Shall I wait? Because the temple is always there. I love that idea. It's no surprise to me as, as someone who knows you uh, a little bit that you are always engaged in this kind of spiritual generosity and material generosity. Yeah, it has, uh, I think it's really beautiful what you're doing, what you have been doing. But I'm, I want to pick up a little bit on something you say in the poem. There's this idea for sure of uh, going back and the garden is there. I feel some kind of some biblical allusions to, you know, a kind of Eden or paradise or what used to be. But the garden is thick with thorns. And there are snake skins, and we're being pointed back. But what is back there is a crypt. And so the message I read into it was that the past is as troubled as the present. The implication being, maybe, at least to me, that we need to look to the future, perhaps all times, with tenderness. At least I saw great tenderness in the actions within the poem, opening the door, sweeping the debris, washing the soot off, gently wiping the walls. You know, whatever you make of the temple, whether it's your body or the earth or a structure separate to but part of both, 
treat it right. Yeah, take care of it. Treat it with love. And the woman always crying, crying for the children, crying for the loss, and calling, calling, trying to offer what she can, that love, that maternal, eternal love, even in death, to be found later. It's, it's heartbreaking, and that's such a, a surprising move as well at the end because we, we go from we, it's we in the poem, it's we and it's our and it's us and there's a collective, and then it comes to the end and we find her in exactly that position and we stoop in our ignorance and it's, it's a hard ending, a beautiful one, I find. There's no question here, by the by, I'm just talking about how much I uh, appreciated the poem. I'm going to read my poem now. Things that saved my life lately. Dark rye toast with peanut butter. You know, the thick tang of the nut on the mouth's roof. The long lovely of close water. The deep green canal still, except where a shaggy German shepherd surges, only its head visible as it struggles toward the waiting leash. Further on the bay, a blue feast full of leaping fish and darting birds, white boats and mirrored cloud, the water holding my worried weight. You, queer boy, you, queer joy, singing, my departed father, submerged in the curve of my smile. The people searching for the possibility of a heartbeat beneath the buried rubble in Beirut day after day. This list, for what it's worth, contracts and expands like any heart, lately small, racked with tremors, there remain the working men in high-vis vests, hot and busy, constructing detours for the walkers, the women, the riders, around deadly ground. My mother, traumas unresolved, and for whom, as much as love, I continue to wade through the hours, snout in the air, furious, in search of her hands and what, together, we might or not. So that was the poem that I wrote in response to recent times and um, the conversations that we've been having as well, you and I, Ali. Hi, Mara, I love this poem. It's so beautiful. There's so much love. There's such a symphony of love. And it's a poem that has so many different loves in it. To remind um, each other that there's no one love, there are many loves. I've been seeing, you know, all around me uh, in every conversation I have so much worry and pain. Certainly if anyone is familiar with my work, you know, pain is, is ever-present. But with this particular poem and in this particular time I, I wanted really very much to dig for the things that I feel have made my life worth living in uh, 
these past few weeks. And so it's not a terribly complicated poem. I did feel it was a necessary one to write. But it, it does bring to mind uh, for me the question um, that I want to ask you, which is what is poetry to you? What is its purpose and has it changed? Um, firstly, I want to say I'm grateful that there's a reference to a dog in here. My red healer is <laughs> on my foot. <laughs> Didn't have a, a dog for seven years since last time I was here. And um, to return with a with a special friend is quite quite a wonder. You know the line, my mother, traumas are unresolved and for whom as much as love. I continue to wade through the hungry hours. That could sum up my view of poetry. I've had several mothers through my, through my journey of adoption and then finding my um, Aboriginal family. I've had many other mothers along the way who cared for me when I was lost. Many different Aboriginal lands, Ghana, here, many places. I think this isolation of COVID-19 has taught me I know so little and there is so much to learn. It's almost impossible to know. So live that life to the end as simply and as complicated as you can. I need to say something real quick, which is um, the line about the hungry hours. I actually changed it. <laughs> I actually changed it um, to, I just took out hungry and I, I just had it as I continue to wade through the hours. But uh, based on what you've just said, I'm putting hungry back in. Um, so for anyone listening who is potentially confused, um, <laughs> I am now adding that back in. But yeah, it is, it is, you know, trauma is, is so often referred to in this kind of obviously negative way, but in this like really uh, disposable way and, and, a, and a reductive way. You know, I think trauma for me is, is, is like grief in that uh, it contains, you know, the totality of human emotion. It contains every kind of, of uh, experience um, and feeling. I did want to say in this poem that it's not just love that's propelling me through this world. It's, it's also the griefs. The Hungry Hours also provides such beautiful nourishment. Mm. And it's a process. It's a journey. My trauma is quite settled here because I know this place. And so I'm not a Nadjuri person. My country and language group is a long way from here. But I did grow up here and I love this country. It does provide a bosom for me. It's like before the pandemic. I loved the isolation. I say that selfishly maybe because I've been travelling for a very long time. I don't think I, would, I knew how to stop travelling. Um, and uh, coronavirus provided the meanings to that. I've slept so much. I think that was the first sign when I thought, I need to look after myself a little better. And are those things that I thought were important, are they so important? I've stayed still long enough that my granddaughter lives with me now. And well, I could never have perceived that because I was too busy. She helping to heal my 18-year-old self, who was quite a confused young girl 
and who ran away from here at this at that age. That reminded me there's a wonderful circle, life circular, we get it wrong, you keep going, you find something. That's really important and we have to give ourselves some measure of grace as far as travelling is concerned because I, like you, was always on the move. But I feel like that movement was crucial to my survival because I wasn't able to face what was in my past and the dangers still very much present um, in my family life. And I'm, and you know, like I said earlier, anxiety is a response to a perceived threat. And so I don't just want to say that we were moving through the world as much as possible to flee from, but also to find the experiences, the people that we very much needed to grow and change and be able to come back and in this moment be still and heal. That's very true. Australia was my anxiety. I was finding mm. it difficult, you know. These were the Tony Abbott years. And politics was going silly, you know. I was out in the, in the desert when the intervention arrived. Most horrific things, deaths in custody, all the denial of us continuing, continuing, and I needed to escape the anxiety of Australia and sit with beautiful people from different cultures around the world. It was very, very privileged. But they could. the joy of international travel is that you meet people who can see your distress and understand it in a moment and offer friendship. I think slowing down, coming back to Australia, I didn't know if I would find a safe place or feel uh, safety in Australia. This place is provided I never could have imagined coming back here. I'm so grateful that there are bigger things than, than my free will at play. I definitely agree with you about the anxiety of Australia and um, it's absolutely something that I try to escape as well. And it's not gone, that anxiety, but I feel stronger now uh, and more able to to handle it. That's simply due to the loves in my life, you know, the many connections I have to people and communities that I'm not just in solidarity with, you know. I don't, to be perfectly honest, I don't, really like the word solidarity because it seems somewhat transactional. I like the word love. That's the word and the purpose that I'm attracted to is finding ways to, um, to love each other. And I, I've just gained so much from, from love. And, and I include you very much in this. And so I want to thank you for your poetry, for your friendship, for this podcast. It's always a joy to talk to you. I'd like to say I'm very grateful for this opportunity and um, it's been a nice time to think more about what we can and not. Thank you for listening to Extraordinary Voices for Extraordinary Times. Don't forget to visit the UQP website, 
www.uqp.com.au to read all the poetry from the series and to find out more information about our featured poets. We hope you'll join us next month as Ellen Van Nieven returns with all new work. <laughs>